Welcome to the Life of Christ. This is part two and this is lesson 16. We are beginning a new chapter, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Let's begin on page one and work our way through. Alright, so following the gospel accounts of the forerunner John the Baptist, we now come to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. With Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13, which is similar to Mark 1, 9, saying, Then, that's at the height of John's baptizing activity, Jesus came from Galilee. And Mark adds, from Nazareth of Galilee, meaning that Jesus walked approximately 60 miles to John at the Jordan River. And this is the only direct encounter between Jesus and John the Baptist ever recorded in the Gospels, by the way. Now, like I said, this is in the Gospels. I'm not saying they didn't meet at other times privately. The reason for this long journey and the need for baptism is brought out first by what the Full Life Study Bible says, and that is Christ, through baptism, publicly consecrated himself to God and his kingdom. John MacArthur says, This first public event of his ministry is also rich in meaning. It pictures his death and resurrection and therefore prefigures the significance of Christian baptism. This is how people view baptism, and this is an okay view. So what I'm saying is baptism doesn't guarantee you get to heaven. All right, Getting wet doesn't do anything. But if it's symbolic of something, and you understand the symbolism, then it's meaningful. Did you get what I said? So what I'm giving you now is why some religious leaders insist on people getting baptized. All right? The thing is, the leaders think one thing, and the people that are getting baptized think a different thing. The leaders see the symbolism in what's going on, the, the little, the baptizee, baptizee, the guy that's getting baptized, <laughs> okay, uh, thinks, oh, I'm wet, I'm going to heaven. Do you understand? So that's why it needs to be made very clear, this isn't about any of that. This, this is symbolism. This is what it is symbolizing. And that's really all it is. All right? Your death, death of your natural self, and the resurrection of the new you. Do you understand? When you come out of the water. Sometimes they don't let you back out. No. <laughs> also, it affirms his messiahship publicly by testimony directly from heaven. All right? We're going to see that in verse 17. William MacDonald goes on to further explain the significance of the Christian aspect of the baptism by saying that his immersion typified his baptism in the waters of God's judgment at Calvary. His emergence from the water foreshadowed his resurrection. By death, burial, and resurrection, he would satisfy the demands of divine justice and provide a righteous basis by which sinners could be justified. You need to understand that Just because Jesus is on the scene, it's still Old Testament. It's only New Testament after he dies, after he resurrects. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay, so he's still operating under Old Testament. Types and shadows are very strong in the Old Testament. And so this is a type and shadow of what was coming. This is what was so sad. All the things that they were to do was so that they could recognize him when he turned up. And they missed everything, which is ridiculous, you know. And so, even his being immersed and being pulled out of the water in that way, which is why Jesus said, you have to do this, was a symbol of what he was going to do. 
He was trying to tell his disciples over and over again, I need to die, I need to do this. And they're going, no, 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 Lord. And, you know, rebuked him basically. We're going to see that incident as well. Because they didn't, you know, they didn't want him to go away. So this is all symbolism. It is still a part of the symbolism of the Old Testament. And if you see it and understand it in that way, then you'll understand why this all had to be done as well. They're still following the symbolisms that have been put in place. Again, pointing to the Messiah and pointing to what he, w- he needed to do and what he would do. Thank God. Amen. You know, he could have said no, by the way. And so on this day, by this act, Jesus the carpenter would cease to exist. And Jesus the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, would emerge. Amen? So as he went down, there went the carpenter. As he came back up, came the Messiah. Remember again that Jesus didn't do anything until he was baptized. And you need to understand that as well. Whenever you hear stories about, oh, you know, Jesus made little clay birds come alive when he was a kid, it's all garbage, I'm sorry to say. Okay, that stuff isn't real. What he did, he did after he was baptized. And then the things he did were unbelievable. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so this tells us something. And this is the reason why he said, don't go do anything until you get this. Amen? He says, this is how it's going to work for you. And we still need to understand that. I don't know how many commentaries that I've read that have said, oh, the things that Jesus did was just for Jesus, to show that he was the true Messiah, and we can't ever expect to do any of that stuff, and blah, blah, blah. And it's so sad that they keep taking away the very thing that Jesus said, this you are going to do. This is the power to do it with. And you know what? Once you get good at this, because you're no longer under the Old Testament, you have a new covenant, you're going to do better. Greater things than these. Amen? And I'm thinking, God, I just want to do the things to start with. Can we just start there? Walk on water, you know? And, (laughs) you know, all that great stuff. Anyway, back to this. All right. So, verse 14, Matthew 3 and verse 14. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? In other words, John, who had previously said that Jesus was greater in power, personal experience, and in ministry, to such a degree that he was not even worthy to untie the Lord's sandals, is now being asked to baptize the Messiah. Can you believe this? I mean, I would have an issue too. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) To which he basically says, absolutely not. That's what John says to Jesus. He's going, I can't do this. There's no way I'm going to do this. You know, I know who you are. And so verse 15, But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Now let me pull that apart for you a little bit, okay? Because I know you all got that, right? No. (laughs) As William Hendrickson puts it, Jesus' reply is something like, As a general rule, what you say is true. But at this particular moment in your and my life, when I'm about to begin my public ministry, it is proper that I, by means of baptism, reaffirm my resolution. Remember what he's going to do. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane. If there is any way, let this cup pass from me. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay, he needed this. He needed this because he knew what was coming. He knew the price that needed to be paid 
it wasn't going to be pretty. Everybody would desert him. It would not be good. Amen? It's one thing when people are cheering you on while they're going through some hard times. It's another thing when they all disappear on you. And especially after the things they saw. Alright. So, John goes ahead and baptizes him. Which, by the way, also shows that Jesus gave public approval to John's ministry. And it says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly, I am on page 3. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now this is one of only three times that God the Father speaks in the Gospels. And it is always to His Son. The second incident is recorded in Matthew chapter 17. So let's have a quick look at this. Where it says in verses 1 through 5, remember, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up to a high mountain by themselves. When he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah, we were talking about this, appeared to him, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was yet speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Okay, so that's the second time that God spoke. The third time, I'm giving you all this because you're Bible school students. Amen? Okay, you need to know where all they were. The third time is in John 12, 28. Jesus is praying here, and he's predicting his own death, in fact. And he says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Alright, we'll look at this more closely when we get to it. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. So this is the only three times in the Gospels recorded where the Father actually speaks. All right, and it was again all to him. Now let's get back to Matthew 3.16. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, indicating that he was in the water, probably immersed. Okay, he came up from the water. So somehow, somewhere, he was immersed slightly at least. Can we agree on that? Okay, because people always say, is it full immersion, half immersion? Oh, for God's sake. (laughs) Whatever you want. Okay, (laughs) if it's ladies, they don't want to mess their hair, we'll go half immersion. It doesn't matter, it doesn't mean you're half saved. Remember again, this stuff doesn't mean anything. You know, it's comical when you start thinking about this stuff, really, you know what I'm saying? Okay, so anyway, (laughs) I can have fun with you guys, but I say stuff like this, man, people want to shoot me out there. Anyway, (laughs) let's get back to, you don't know how their little doctrines are so precious to them. And dear God, you better not mess with it. Doesn't matter what the scriptures say. It's their doctrine. Watch out for that, by the way. You you can show these people all the scriptures, and they won't see it. Do you know why? Because they don't want to see it. You know, they're basically always going to go yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but. So I'm going to butt in the way anyway. So, (laughs) getting back to this. So again, it says when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. 
And while he prayed, Luke says, okay, so Luke brings in a lot of the prayer ministry of Jesus. It'll be interesting. It's interesting as we go through, you'll find that Luke will show when Jesus prayed. The others miss it for some reason. Luke always picks up on that little detail and keeps adding it in. All right? And so that's, again, the reason why we look at all the Gospels as we're doing this. So again, in, in the parallel account, it says, And while he prayed, that's Luke 3.21, Behold, we're back in Matthew 3.16, The heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Now Luke says that the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. All right? So that's what, that's what the other Gospel is saying. About this very same event. Verse 17. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son. Now Luke says, You are my beloved son. Okay, pointing to a relationship shared by no other at this time. And reinforced with, In whom I am well pleased. Alright? Alright, so we have several things that we, we need to note here. First, in these verses, all three persons of the Trinity are clearly expressed. And therefore it serves as definitive proof of their existence. Why am I bringing this out? Because there are some people that say, Oh no, there's only God the Father. Okay, there's God is one and that's it. There's just the Father. There's no Jesus, there's no Messiah, there's nothing else. All right? There's others that will say, Oh yeah, we believe in the Father and Jesus, but there's no Holy Spirit. That's like electricity and stuff. Okay? And they call it an it rather than a him. Do you understand? Alright, so if you run into any of these people, here's your scripture. It shows all three members of the Godhead present. There's a father, there's a son. He says, this is my beloved son. Okay? And then the Holy Spirit, bodily descended. Bodily, not electrically. <laughs> okay, I'm making a point, but do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, bodily descended. So we have three persons of the Godhead mentioned here. Alright, the Full Life Study Bible says that none of these three persons was ever made or created, but each exists equally in essential being, attributes, power, and glory. Now, let me just go over that a little bit. Alright? None of them were created. Now, some religions also believe the Father created the Son. Okay? As far as we're concerned, they all existed. In the beginning, was. Okay? There was the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They just always were. We don't know about their origins. We'll find out when we get to heaven. Okay? But our mind and our brain can't obviously manage that information. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay? So, as far as we're concerned, they already existed. One didn't create the others. Are you all here? Okay, so that's important, alright? So that's the first thing. So, they each exist equal in essential being. So they are all God. Okay? In their attributes, they can be everywhere at once. Remember, they're omnipresent and, you know, omniscient. They know everything. And, okay? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all have that as well. Are you all with me? That's, that's the attributes. Their power. As powerful as God the Father is, so is the Holy Spirit, so is God the Son. There's not a deficiency there. Okay, so we need to understand this. They're all three God. And also glory. All right? Second, note the significant words in verse 16 from Luke's Gospel. While he prayed. It clearly shows that 
Not only did Jesus attach a great deal of importance to prayer, but also that he was ever dependent on God the Father. You need to understand that prayer is communication with God. While he is praying, it means he's constantly talking to the Father. He's constantly in communication with heaven. Okay, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Do you understand? Everything that he did, everything he said, his whole life was thy kingdom come, thy, not my, but thy will be done. Okay, which is meant to be the way we live. But you need to know all this for us to actually start living that way. All right. Third, in verse 16, Matthew goes on to direct our attention to something of great significance by saying, Behold, or look, and goes on to say that the heavens were open to Christ. So Hendrickson says that this was not merely a subjective experience in the heart of Jesus. It was definitely a miracle occurring in full view of all who were present there with John and Jesus even though it was Christ alone that the heavens were actually opened to. Can you imagine what was going on there? In his baptism, the heavens opened. Now let me ask you a question. What heavens? What was the voice that came through? A voice from another dimension broke the barrier and came through and said, This is my beloved Son. Or you are my beloved son. Remember there's a spirit realm and there's a natural realm. God is spirit. Are you all with me? Okay. So out of that realm comes a voice that normally we wouldn't hear. We don't know what's going on in heaven right now. Those voices are silent to us. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I need you to see this stuff. Okay. Get this because we miss it. Something happened that broke that barrier that's there, and suddenly it says the heavens were open. These guys don't know how else to put this now. They're seeing, remember the time when Stephen was dying? What did he see? What was he looking at? What dimension is that in? That's not in our world, in our dimension. It was a whole other dimension he was looking into. Remember, and he said, I can see the Son of God at the right hand, and they thought, oh, kill this guy. Are you all with me? We, we miss stuff like this. He was seeing through space and time and dimensionally, he was seeing into another realm. And he was literally seeing heaven itself. That's why we know it exists. Amen? People say, well, you know, how do you know? We know. It's there. People have seen it. Down here, people have looked up and gone, wow, there is heaven. It's a real place. Amen? Hallelujah. Anyway, I just think something awesome happened here. I just think they looked up and some of them are going to not know what is going on. Some think, oh, we shouldn't have smoked that stuff last night. See, now I'm seeing visions. <laughs> this dude is getting baptized and I'm seeing all kind of stuff happening up there. Are you seeing this? I don't know what you're on about. You know? <laughs> yeah, okay, so... <laughs> you know where I'm coming from, right? I mean, this stuff is like unicorns, you know? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the guy says, if you've seen the unicorn, stop taking drugs. <laughs> okay. That's a drug ad. All right. Okay. Anyway. Oh, dear Lord. I'm sorry. All right. Back to this. Let's finish this off. We really do need to finish it off. So, again, Hendrickson says this was not merely a subjective experience in the heart of Jesus, it was definitely a miracle. And it says again, in full view of all who were present there, with both John and Jesus. Amen? 
Fourth, following this great miracle, it says that the Holy Spirit of God descended in bodily form like a dove. Meaning that not only was it under the symbolism of a dove, that the third person of the Trinity manifested himself, but also that there was an objective reality to his presence as well. Meaning that he was physical and visible to all. We need to get this. It says that he came down in bodily form. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because a lot of people say, oh no, there was like a little dove thing, and it was like a little bird, and we don't know whether it was a bird or it wasn't. He says in bodily form. That's why I said there's a lot here, and we need to catch all of it. Amen? So he came down in a form that somebody said, that is a person. When you say bodily, that's a person. Amen? Okay. Oh, I wish I could spend more time on this, but anyway, let's move on a little bit more. The Full Life Study Bible says, Jesus, who from the beginning had been conceived, I'm on the next page, and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, is now personally anointed and empowered by the Spirit for His ministry. What an incredible day this is. Amen? In other words, while there was never a time when the Lord was not filled with the Spirit, It was only now at his baptism that the Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him with power for service. In fact, it is for this very reason that Jesus would say to his disciples in Luke 24, 49, and we'll finish here. Oh, no, maybe the next verse. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endured with power from on high. And this is also similar to what he said in Acts 1.8. When he said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He kept emphasizing that one thing. You need this power. Amen? That you are not going to be a witness until you have this power. Can I say this as we close for tonight? The things that I'm teaching you now are leading you to this power. I want you to start to learn how to walk in this power. What the body of Christ has denied for so long. What Jesus Christ paid for with his blood and with his life. We need to take a hold of that. Honor his sacrifice. And start making the effort to believe and start moving in this. Not to get weird, but so that we can serve people. Do you hear me? Not so we can have stuff, so we can change what the devil is doing in this planet, so that we can turn around that person that says, if God is so loving, how come he does this or allows this? Can we be the one that say, show us where this is and let's change it? We have to get to that place, family. I know we're not there yet. I know I'm not there yet. But dear God, I'm going to keep working at this until I drop dead. You know, I'm believing to live at least 120. So we'll be good till then. After that, we might have to negotiate. But, (laughs) you know, but you know what I'm trying to say. We need to move along in this. And we need to start believing. This is not fantasy. This is not some weird thing out there. This is real. But if we don't believe it, Jesus said very clearly, only for those who believe. Do you hear me? Can I say this to you? There is something on the inside of you that has been given to us by God. Image and likeness. Do you understand? Genesis. Alright? We need to go back there because that's our origin. That is our real beginning. 
And we need to understand that when God made us in His image and likeness, He made us in His image and likeness. And we were meant to do the same things. We were little L-platers, okay? And we need to learn stuff, but before we even got there, we fell. That's why we don't see any of the things that were commanded us to do. I'm going to drop a little a gem as I close this. We'll get to this incident much further down the track. <clears throat> Remember that miraculous catch? Peter fished all night, caught nothing. Jesus asked to borrow the boat. He preached, then he said, he didn't, by the way, he didn't get out of the boat. He stared at the boat and he said, push it out to the deep, throw out your nets. All right? Pete goes, you know, you're not a fisherman, I'm ad-libbing. All right? And he says, you know, we didn't catch anything. I know carpenters don't know this, but there's no fish to catch during the day. Usually during the day, they would go hide in the cracks and blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'll teach all that to you when we get to it. But isn't it interesting? He says, throw a net down. Some of the commentaries said, oh, Jesus knew that there were going to be fish there. Give me a break. Just knowledge of them being there doesn't explain how they stayed there. What did Genesis 1.27 say? And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Do you know what? That's what Jesus did. He took dominion and said, All of you, gather here. We're going to throw a net and you're going to get caught today. Sorry, dude. Say goodbye. That's the only way that you can explain what actually happened there. Do you understand? Unless he just created a whole bunch of fish. We can do that too. Remember the loaves and the fishes? That was never an issue with him. You've got one fish, you can make a thousand. It's the same God that brought the animals to the... Noah didn't go chasing around animals. He wasn't going to, running after the chooks. My God, I saw a film like that once and I thought, Oh, give me a break. Are you kidding? You're going to chase a tiger, he'll come and eat you. <laughs> We're done with that. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Okay. You know, they all came. They came to him. Isn't that incredible? But that was the dominion that we were meant to have. Amen. That's the dominion. That is what we are meant to be doing now. That's where we're headed for. That's what our sights need to be set on. Do you hear what I'm saying? Amen. Okay. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. It's finished for tonight.